You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Certainly what's on investors' minds, and again, many around the country, is the increased numbers uh, in virus cases and hospitalizations. And there's a lot of stories. If you look at the most read on the Bloomberg, almost all of the top 10 have something to do with the virus. So let's get into it and talk about the virus, how the health community is continuing to deal with it. Lloyd Miner is a scientist, surgeon, and academic leader. He's also dean of the Stanford University School of Medicine. It's a position he has held since December of 20. 2012. Also with us is David Entwistle, President and CEO of Stanford Healthcare, which in November opened its new 824,000 square foot state-of-the-art hospital. Its total bed count is now 605, total operating rooms to 87, so a huge facility. Uh, Both joining us on the phone from Stanford, California. Uh, Gentlemen, so nice to have you here with us. So I got to just ask you first, because of the virus surges, should some states and cities be considering slowing or reversing reopening plans? And Dr. Minor, let me start with you. How do you see it? Thank you very much. It's good to be with you today. Certainly, we are seeing an increase in the number of COVID cases in many uh, cities and locations across the United States. And I think that indicates that we need to continue to observe social distancing, uh, the masking guidelines that have been rolled out in many communities. There's good evidence that masking helps to prevent the infection. It's going to be, I think, a location-by-location decision as to what additional measures are put in place, that is, whether or not we roll back from stage two, where many places are today, to earlier stages. But the main thing is we've, we've got to be more prudent about, um, as we resume activities as businesses, restaurants, uh, department stores start to open, we've got to observe social distancing, we've got to use masks, um, and do things that lessen the spread of the infection. Well, and David, largely because all of this comes down to, or so much of this comes down to essentially hospital capacity. So help us understand from the perspective of someone running a hospital, what you worry about with this spike and what hospitals like yours are doing. And and obviously you're not facing at the moment uh, any sort of surge, but in your shoes or in the shoes of uh, others running hospitals, what are they thinking about? Well, no, I appreciate that opportunity. One of the things that we wanted to do, and certainly with any slowdown, which we did uh, as the initial pandemic came on, as we started to see the numbers dip a bit, what we were most concerned about then is getting some of the folks back into the queue that actually needed some of the delayed surgeries and other things that were going on. We started with, which I think is a bit of a model building on what Dean Miner said, actually doing testing. So making Mm -hmm. sure that the population that we had within the hospital itself, our employees, our physicians, uh, that we were free of the virus. And we actually uh, tested over 12,000 employees and staff and uh, saw less than a 0.3% of those staff actually had the virus. And so we knew that we were creating a safe environment. But I think it's important, despite being able to be there and be a resource for the community, we do also have to have capacity. And one of the things that we've done, despite opening back up, doing our elective surgeries, uh, is creating still a capacity within the organization that's there and always available, because that really is the concern, is if we get another uh, significant spike, well, we have the capacity to be able to treat, and we want to make sure that we're ready for that this time without having to shut everything down. 
Well, Dean Miner, you know, what have we learned? You know, here we are, Jason and I, you know, have been working from home, essentially. Jason went into the office a little bit this week, but he's back home. But here we are in, I think, week 14, week 15. Um, what have we learned from the medical perspective about how to treat with the, how to treat the virus, how to stay ahead of it, how to watch for either another spike? I mean, tell us what we've learned. Thank you. I, I think we've learned several things. First is that this is a respiratory virus. The principal mode of transmission is from one person to the next through secretions, through mucus, through a cough. Um, and, and there may be other modes of transmission as well, but the main danger is through direct contact uh, with secretions of someone who is infected. And it is a highly infectious virus. We've certainly improved our ability to treat people who become ill. In the hospital, our own hospital, Stanford Hospital, uh, we have been a pioneer in the studies of remdesivir uh, that has been shown to be effective in, re in improving the recovery rate uh, and, and perhaps also in lowering the risk of, of mortality from the virus. We've been a part of those studies. We now have studies going on in the outpatient setting using antivirals at the time someone is diagnosed with the infection before they become severely ill, using antivirals in a clinical trial setting in order to determine if there are therapies we can give to outpatients that reduce the severity of the disease and reduce the likelihood that people will need to be admitted to the hospital. We know that the, the tragedy in New York and in other places where hospitals and healthcare delivery systems became overwhelmed, the tragedy was that we as healthcare professionals were not able to provide the care we're capable of providing to patients who come to us because our facilities were overwhelmed. As long as we're not overwhelmed, as long as we're able to provide the type of high quality intensive care that our hospital and so many others across the country are able to provide, as long as we don't become overwhelmed, I think we'll be able to take care of people throughout the course of this pandemic. But it's important to remember this is a serious infection in many people. Um, in young people, it tends to be less severe, but in older people or people who have underlying medical conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, the infection can be very seriously. So we have to continue to take it seriously and to respond accordingly. So, David, it feels like as a society, we're faced with a few big moments right here. You know, we're faced with this moment around racial justice, and we're talking a lot about that uh, every day on this program, and I'm sure you guys are talking about it as well. It also seems like a moment where we are thinking about healthcare very, pun intended, holistically, and really rethinking it in terms of if we were to sort of design this from the ground up, how can we create a healthier community? How can we create a healthier society? Because we're going to be living with things like COVID-19 for a long time. You have the responsibility of building a healthcare system in that image. How do you do it? For everyone, because equality is one of those big, big topics right now, obviously. Well, and I'm glad they brought in equality because we know that there's disparities in the way that health is delivered, and we know that there's more that needs to be done in that uh, perspective, and that's something certainly we're working on here at Stanford. There's a lot in that question that you just asked, I have to say, because if you think about, um, we have been trying for years to think about 
population health. How do we take care of populations? If we were doing this right, uh, we hopefully we'll keep them out of the hospital to begin with because we'll be able to keep them healthy and keep them in a venue where they won't need to come here. Oftentimes within hospitals, we think about the care that we deliver is uh, when there's a failure and when they need to receive treatment beyond what uh, their own health will sustain. I think we have some real opportunities with this pandemic, which is certainly the first in my lifetime and I hope the last. But I think as we rethink the way that we deliver healthcare, one is that we are we actually have individual stewardship and responsibility for our own health care, and I hope that we're taking advantage of those opportunities. But at the same time, we can re-envision the way that we provide care. And I'll just give you one example that I know you've heard of before, but it's transitioned here at Stanford, and that is just the use of our digital technology, both to look at data in predictive ways, but also digital technology in the way that we provide the care. And a lot of times being able to provide care to individuals at a place that's comfortable for them and also avoiding, you know, having to go out and have, in this case, potential access to other parts of the virus. And so there's so many things that I think that we can do now to re-envision the way that is. We're using digital technology internally, both uh, predictive modeling, but also telehealth. Uh, One quick example, we've gone from roughly 2%, and we do a couple million clinic visits a year, 2% of those being done digitally, to at the height of the pandemic, 70% of those being delivered digitally. And so think about how we can not only mitigate some of the cost of healthcare, but also be able to provide care to individuals at their own sites. And so there's so much that we can do and think about, uh, but certainly data will have a big place in that, and we want to use that data to actually drive our decisions. And I have to say to both of you, you know, Jason and I have spent a lot of time at Stanford. Um, we've done several broadcasts for TV and radio uh, at the business school. You know, you guys are smack in the middle of so much in- innovation in terms of Silicon Valley and just the conversations about kind of where does the world go, always forward looking. So Dr. Minor, I do wonder, I do feel like the medical community, and maybe not yours specifically, but just overall, has been slower to innovate. I think it's a hard it's a hard beast to move, right? So what will be kind of the innovative trends that maybe come out of the virus and then just others that are going to come in the future that really will be part of the medical world? Well, I'm pleased you brought that up because if we look at the digital transformation of of our lives, every sector of society and of the economy has been radically transformed by digital technologies, except for healthcare. I mean, think about the way we order goods and services, the way we perform financial transactions. They're radically different than they were 10 years ago. And yet healthcare, at least prior to four months ago, uh, we were still using fax machines and still calling up on the phone to make an appointment in far too many cases. David mentioned this transformation that we've seen over an incredibly fast period of time towards telehealth. And I really have to do a big shout out to our IT team here that very rapidly scaled up for the type of transformation that David described to have us do at one point uh, 70% of our visits as virtual online visits. We, we should not lose the momentum that, that we've had to obtain during this crisis because there is so much more we can do leveraging technology, not in a way that separates us as healthcare providers from our patients, but in ways that connects us in more meaningful ways with our patients and also 
helps us to address some of the disparities that you brought up and that are so troubling to all of us. Yeah, it's a really important conversation right now. And I'm so glad, Jason and I are both so glad that we had some time um, to catch up with both of you. And, I, and hopefully we can get you back soon again in the future. Sure. Dr. Lloyd Miner, he's dean of the Stanford University School of Medicine, joining us on the phone from Stanford, California, along with David Entwistle, president and CEO at the Stanford Healthcare. Uh, and I feel like... Um, we could talk to them forever because totally. just with everything that's going on, Jason, and we're hearing lots of conversations. We hear, you know, we talk with so many different members of the medical community. You know, everyone agrees it's been slow to change, um, but these guys, they're certainly involved in what's to come. It's also a reminder that there are multiple constituencies here, right? You know, well, we think yeah. about it just as patients and doctors, but it's much more complicated than that. And you alluded to that when you talk about slow to change and you have the pharmaceutical industry and you have the medical device industry and you have, you know, all these elements of it. There's an academic and research uh, uh, community embedded in there as well. So uh, important to remember all those aspects. Yeah. And a reminder that I think we're going to see a lot more technology working alongside humans to, to better situations, especially when it comes to healthcare.